Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card, UFC Vegas 62, going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a woman's flyweight top contenders bout, Alexa Grasso versus Viviane Araujo. We're talking about the prelims card right now with a featured prelim between Brandon Davis and Mana Martinez on a prelim a group of prelims and honestly i mean should, they should be fun fights i will say that there are a couple on here that i'm like eh, i don't know but i love that matchmaking here or there but uh-huh. by and large these should all be fun yeah yeah honestly i'm 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 pretty satisfied with the the whole layout of this whole card yeah it's it a, looks it's like a, a fight my card yeah, I mean, the more delineation the UFC, we talked about this on the main card, Vivi, so I'm not going to dive too much into it, but the more delineation the UFC does in their product, the better, the more honest the presentation. Yeah. You know, we don't need to be back at that Fox era where, like, you had UFC on Fuel TV, UFC on FS1, UFC on FS2, UFC on, you know, Big Fox and pay-per-views, and the UFC was trying to tell us all across the board that they were all yeah. big notable high level cards that everyone needed to pay attention to. Like, yeah. The days of Joe Rogan being in a promo declaring every single fight the biggest thing ever are gone. Yeah. And that's how it should be. That yeah. these, you know, these things don't have to be that important. No. That's what fight nights are for. Exactly. So we're here right now talking about this prelim card and a bantamweight fight between Brandon Davis and Mana Martinez, which should be a pretty fun fight honestly like yeah what uh, what is this is this the best one for a featured prelim I mean, no. much nothing else screams featured prelim necessarily I mean, but how henry should absolutely yeah and that I mean, one that's that's uh, a sad story yeah oh. <laughs> that that one would be a hollow featured prelim yeah. because we all know what the point of that matchup making is. Yeah. I mean, uh, but I, I would even say like Maximov Malkoon over Davis. Yeah. That's, that's like, what I was thinking. Davis and Martin. I, I love watching Brandon Davis fight. He's a lot of fun. He does not have a great sense of his own uh, mortality, <laughs> which is a really fun thing to, to watch in a fighter. Mana Martinez is a very fun fighter too. Mana Martinez is a very fun fighter too, but they're, I mean, I, and I don't want to be cruel here. They're both kind of no hopers yeah. in the Bantamweight division. Like yeah. they are not going to, if they even carve out spots as mid card action fighters on that roster. Yeah. I will be, I will be surprised and impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically the fact that these are Bantamweights. Yeah. Specific. These dudes don't don't have a long future in no. this division. Victor Henry is yes. just a guy at bantamweight. And he's a dude who walked in and beat Hani Barcelos and yeah. is almost certainly going to beat Rafael Asuncao, as we're going to talk about in a minute. And yeah. he's, he's just a dude. If, like if Victor Henry never gets a title shot, I will not be shocked. Yeah, and he's 35 years old, and I think he's got a longer future at bantamweight than probably these guys do yes at least in the ufc yeah um 
they're both going to continue losing. I guess, fortunately for both of them, this matchup is one where one of them will have to win. <laughs> Unless it's a draw. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and, you know, yeah, with with all of that being said, it's it, it it's kind of a toss-up fight. I mean, I think yeah. Brandon Davis has done better things. Yeah. Um, he's got innate the innate advantage of being a longer, taller fighter who knows how to use his jab and his kicks. But he is also a guy who just wades into the pocket. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think we saw one of his few attempts not to do that against Dana Batgerell. And uh, look how that worked out, because it's, yep. it's not in his nature to act like a mortal. Yeah, um, Davis is I think he's been struggling to come around to the idea of like, oh, I should fight with a sense of mortality. Yeah. I, sh- I actually do something other than brawl, because when I brawled. I just got kicked out of the UFC. Yeah. And sort of like Brandon Royville on the main card. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily been a good move for him. I'm not, yeah. I think fighters should come to terms with that, but there's a certain point at which, uh, your habits are set into deeply and yeah. And, or you need like a serious, a serious step back in competition. Yeah. You need to go. I mean, he did, he went back to the regionals and he cleaned a bunch of people out. Yeah, Sure. But he didn't come back with like a a well honed, complete no. outside boxing game. No, he went Man. back to the regionals and it was like, oh, I guess I can beat people up again. <laughs> yeah, like it, it would. It, he's definitely the kind of fighter that he was only. I think he was only out of the UFC for what uh, one two, year. Yeah, like two, years, two, two, three years. fights. Three, four fights, two okay. years. Um, and you know, I mean. That's not no time, but no. it didn't. It didn't turn. A, it didn't. And I, I don't know. I guess it just didn't stick. It didn't create something. Didn't create somebody who wouldn't just get cooked by Batteril Dana. Yeah. Look, there's a million reasons people don't get better. Yeah. And um, you might take that time off and get the step back in competition, but you just don't have the right coaches, or you just don't have the right brain to make the improvements you need to make. Like yeah. Let's be honest. Not everyone's cut out to succeed in uh, in elite competitions. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's the joy of sports. Honestly, is that yeah, you it, it is a sorting system that we are watching live. We get to see live people physically come up against their limitations, and that makes that makes the thrill. That's the drama. You see, you know, you're watching to see like, oh, is this person good enough to succeed in this situation? Yeah. And if they if they're all good enough, there wouldn't be any drama. Yeah. So I would still give uh, Brandon Davis some advantages uh, from the outset because he's bigger and he does have. He's not actually taller. Should be noted. He's got a he's got a reach advantage, doesn't he? He's got like a two inch reach advantage. Okay. He he fights longer as well. Definitely. Yeah. Um, At least he can. He has a jab. He has a kicking game. Martinez is a bit of a not not stylistically, but just in general, he's a bit of a uh, John McDessie in that a lot of his height is just in his massive cranium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad you made clear not stylistically. Yeah, not stylistically, just got that big old head. <laughs> yeah, because he's definitely not John McDessie stylistically. He no. he's a he's a clubber, you know. He's a he's a wide open clubber, which is kind of. I still feel like some somebody did Mana Martinez a real injustice because he's one of those guys who's like a black belt at like four. 
black belt of what? I think like karate. Like taekwondo or, or taekwondo. something, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really come through in his fighting style. No. And that's what I'm saying. Somebody did him a real injustice early on of being like, you know, he was like, oh, I think, you know, one of those like martial arts wonder kids. And it's just like, yeah, but you, what are you actually learning? Yeah. A bunch of stuff that doesn't even appear in an actual fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's just like a swinger. And mm. um, I, I will give him a whole <laughs> I will give him immense credit for the insane grit and determination he showed against Ronnie Lawrence. Yeah. Because this is a fight where he was getting like 10 8 in every round. Mm-hmm. He was just, he got dropped, I, I don't even know how many times, like three times more. It was down to a split decision somehow. It shouldn't have been. I know. But, yeah. um, but he, he just, he never stopped trying yeah. to walk Ronnie Lawrence down and just hit him. He knew how he had to fight to win. And he came out in that third round like a house on fire. He was crazy aggressive. He was creating chances uh-huh. despite, yeah, I mean, like, you do like to see that. I mean, that's certainly one element of elite competitor that yep. Mount Martinez has, which is, like, being able to accept that at a certain point you can either just keep losing or you can take a chance at losing much more violently in order to maybe win. Yep. That is a decision many much more skilled fighters don't come to when they uh-huh. need to. Um. So it'll be interesting. You know, he's, I got to assume he's going to be live. I don't think Davis is going to like one shot KO him. He certainly no, has recoverability. For as, as hurtable as Mana Martinez has been, he's never been knocked out. Yeah, he recovers like a beast, yeah. uh, keeps his gas tank somehow, and yeah, has the courage to keep creating chances. Um, so I don't know. This is another fight, yet another fight in this card where. Um, if it, if it meant more, I'd be so intrigued by what a coin flip is, Mm -hmm. but I am going to take Brandon Davis, uh, because I do think he is going to have a chance to rack up some rounds with his reach advantage. He has been getting, uh, stopped by much more dynamic fighters than Mana Martinez. Yeah. He's got, he's, he's gotten knocked out once by Danaf Atkiriel and, Petrill has a really good counter hook. Yeah. It's just like he's got, a, he, you know, he's kind of got one thing that he does really well. And if you're not technically looking for it, he can he can make that happen. Yeah. So. But I've seen Davis hang tough against some other also very dynamic, powerful yeah. fighters and against ones more on um Martinez's level of skill and athleticism, like say Steven Peterson, mm-hmm. he has fun doing that. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't mind a brawl. No. Uh, so I, yeah, I got to pick, I got to pick uh, Davis. Yeah. I will say this. Martinez does have, he can have some crafty, some crafty punches mm-hmm. when the fight allows him. Mm-hmm. Like he he can have a pretty good lead hook, he can have some good some good nice tricky counters and things like that. The problem for him him is really honestly, with that big old head, he's really hittable, hittable, and he's just not very fast. He's not a, he's not a great athlete, and so the chances for him to look like 
a sharp puncher get per- they dramatically decrease at a high at a higher level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things of like he's not as much of a brawler as Ronnie Lawrence made him look like, but it only takes somebody of Ronnie Lawrence's yeah stature to force his game into that point because he's having to overcome athletic disadvantages with aggression. Yeah. And yeah, for Davis, it's, it's where he's in a weird point where it's just kind of like, uh, he's questioning what kind of fighter he wants to be. And Mm -hmm. that's, that makes this difficult to pick because I don't think Martinez has any illusions to what kind of fighter he wants to be. It's just, he doesn't have necessarily the ability to be that kind of fighter at a high level. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Davis, like, you know, one of the notable things about his latter UFC run the first time around was he was really getting turned into a grappler. Mm-hmm. He was getting turned into somebody who had to wrestle and had to try and compete with his opponents via wrestling alone. And that doesn't serve Davis that well because he's not a great wrestler and he's not a great grappler. So if he has to just turn on, if he has to just turn to that and lean on it, he doesn't create a very compelling argument for himself. Right. I'm, I guess I will pick again, coin flip. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the thing with Martinez in his favor here is that he doesn't get knocked out. Yeah. And that we have seen that happen at least once to Davis. But yeah, but by a serious puncher like. Yeah. By somebody with a lot more. I mean. To to Mark Martinez's credit, every fight he had that he won pre pre UFC was knockouts. Mm-hmm. I can see why. There's something to it. He has the potential to make that. You know what? I'm going to pick Martinez just because I think he's more clear-eyed with what he wants to do. Sure. And he went out there. He beat Guido Canetti, which, you know, like it shouldn't be that big a deal because Canetti does melt down. But Yeah. No, I, I remember coming into yeah. the the fight with um the, the fight with, uh, uh oh, my God, Ronnie Lawrence. Lawrence thinking like yeah clearly martinez has like a feel for this he has a feel for striking uh it that fight just made clear that like any like speed advantage at all yeah uh past a certain point and like and and a complete lack of defense and like he just looked really bad because he was against somebody who was quick and long enough to just touch him first yeah i just worry with Britt davis like the the thing with that Dana fight is isn't even so much that Dana is a serious puncher. It's that Davis really set him up his, himself up to get hit. Yeah, a lot. He looked really shook. He did from the get go, and every time he stepped in, he like he has this problem. We were talking about with Cub Swanson. Davis has a similar problem where the way that his offense actually functions on the feet is for him to get into the pocket and start squaring up with people. Yeah. And once every time he would step into the pocket against Dana, he would want to start squaring up and he would just leave himself open to getting hit really hard on the counter. Yeah. 
off of that. So I don't know necessarily, like, even if Martinez isn't, you know, even if he has a speed edge over Martinez, if Martinez can show any of his past boxing skill at all, he might just find Davis there every single time waiting to be hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take Martinez. I'll take the flyer on him. Uh, odds on the fight. Molly's having a having a time is, over there. <laughs> she is freaking the hell out, and I don't know why. And I think I'm out. No, I have one treat left to give her, so I will give give her a treat. That's right. Re- reward the bad behavior. That'll teach her. That helps her calm down at all. <laughs> all right. Um, the coddlers, Abe. I I know. I know. I do. <laughs> Davis is the underdog. He opened at minus 110, jumped up to plus 165, is currently at plus 130. Martinez is the favorite, opened at minus 110, dropped to minus 190, is currently minus 158. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Rafael Sunsau, Victor Henry. And, yeah, this is a sighing fight because there's a time not that long ago like even the version of Victor Henry that went out and beat Hani uh, Barcelos, there's a time not that long ago that I would give Rafael Santao, like I would probably just pick him straight out. Yeah, win this fight. and it would be a really compelling matchup. Yeah, that's the main reason for signing. Like I know this is going to happen. Like this is a Santao's reward for being like an unpopular but undeniably great fighter for like a decade and a half yeah it's just what happens to fighters you get to the end of your career and people are like well whatever name value you have it's your only worth to us now we're going to spend it on other fighters that's how it works yep it is the game but half of the sigh factor in this fight is just thinking man if this was four years ago i would really want to see this fight yep Asante, I would have this absolutely and the thing is is that like you watch the fight that victor henry had with uh, Hani Barcelos and the thing to note in that fight is that Victor Henry he showed a lot of you know mobility and a lot of craft and a lot of slickness in the pocket mm-hmm. but he also just got hit a lot by Hani Barcelos and yeah. the thing that he made the difference where he made up the difference was his dedication to volume and his his willingness to step inside and try and slip and be crafty and extend exchanges with Barcelo so that right. he might get hit once, but he'd land twice. Yeah. It's not that he has no defense, but he's, um, his, his defense is pretty solid. Actually. He's yeah. just, uh, he's, he's so aggressive and so willing to be inside. He's one of yeah. those fighters. He's going to get yeah. hit every fight. Exactly. And in the past, the thing that. Uh, Rafael Asuncio had that made him a really special talent for so long was the ability to just stymie people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, you know, he he would stop you from having that kind of fight with him. And incredible defense. Incredible defense. I think Asuncio statistically probably had top five striking defense in the sport for many years. He he was very difficult to hit clean or consistently. And and a, a lot of that was just yeah, I mean his striking defense now is still 68% and that's after, very high. That's after four straight losses and two by knockout. Yeah. And you know, a big part of that was just that he never took chances. 
Asuncion was a fighter who he would fight behind his jab. He would fight behind kicks and he would not he would wrestle. He would wrestle and he would not make any mistakes. You had to, you had to take the chances. You yeah. had to break and try, you break your form and try and chase him to make something happen because he wouldn't, he wouldn't take away, you know, he wouldn't take anything away from himself to give to you as an opponent. And Honey Barcelos absolutely does. Honey mm-hmm. Barcelos, he initiates constantly. You know, he, he, much like Victor Henry, he wants to be in the pocket. He wants to be driving forward and pushing forward and creating a fight, bringing the fight to you so that he can open up opportunities to wrestle. So he can open up and make you make the choice between getting hit with a really hard hook or defending a takedown. You know, right. that's that's the Honey Barcelos conundrum. That's the Honey Barcelos guarantee. Yeah. And for Victor Henry, he, he was like, okay, I can I can counter wrestle pretty well and I can meet you with volume if you're going to be giving me those kinds of opportunities. And Asuncion won't do that. He won't give. So it'll be on Henry to initiate and create opportunity to take chances and create and years ago, that would have been a bad proposition against against Hafa uh, Alisson. So yeah, it just you know, there's a very good chance it would not work at all. There were it, it, it would have probably still led to a fight where Henry got some things to happen. It's a style that I think just sort of works in MMA. But yeah. this is we're talking about a guy who went toe to toe with TJ Dillashaw twice. Yeah, we're talking and, about a guy who beat Marlon Moraes, Rob Font, and Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, you know. And beat them all within the span of two years. Yeah. He beat them all within the nearly within yeah, within the span of a year and a half. Yeah. And and beat TJ Dillashaw too. Like you just mm-hmm. and more than held his own in the second fight against an yeah. even better version of Dillashaw. Yeah. It is it, it was incredibly difficult to take that kind of fight to him. But he's now he's a step slower. Yeah. And he and is Worse than that, and this is a particularly big problem for a Sun Tzu, he pulls the trigger even less. Yeah. Before, it was like he was so carefully measured. Nobody has ridden the line of yeah. winning or losing a split decision as masterfully as a Sun Tzu over the years. Yeah. But it's such a thin margin that losing any willingness to take a chance has just turned him into, like, a mute. Yeah. And... If Victor Henry is going to go out there and he's going to fill space with volume, if he's going to throw lots of kicks, if he's just going to come after a Sun Tzu with pressure and he's going to be hard to wrestle, hard to take down, hard to control, I can't pick a Sun Tzu anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got to take Victor Henry. But it is sad because, like we say, there's a there was a serious stretch of time where the kind of game that Victor Henry used to beat Honey Barcelos, a very good, very modern meta, very strong high-level MMA game, just would not have worked against Tafel Sunshine. Yeah. So. Yep, I got nothing to add, really. It's just, it, it's past the point of picking a Sunshine against any meaningful opponents. Yeah. I mean, against yeah. somebody you, with what Henry showed against that Barcelona fight, like you know how tough he is, you yep. know how hard he is to out wrestle and to keep and control, and you know how much volume he's going to throw and how confident he is in his own skills at this point in his career. 
Like Henry is, he's done the exact right thing in some ways, which is he just stayed out of the UFC until he was exactly ready to be there. Yeah. And the game he's bringing is a very modern, very high level game. It might not, like I say, it might never get him a title shot because he's not a big puncher in a division where you get up the ladder and there are some serious power threats who can match the style that you're bringing. Mm-hmm. But, and there's a couple guys at the top of the division who will just not even give you a chance to play that game. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. Would you pick Victor Henry over Aljamain Sterling? No. I don't know. No. Right. But, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's, it's still, a, it's made to dip him right into the top 15 to the edge of the top 15. Absolutely. He's undeniably a complete fighter. His style is very functional. Um, it's, you know, he's aggressive, but also highly technical. Yeah. And there's, that's just, it's got a high ceiling. His yeah. game. And so. a is no longer the uh, gatekeeper to the elite that he was for so long. Yep. Henry opened at minus 230, dropped straight to minus 305. He's currently down at minus 367. Santiago opened at plus 195, jumped up to plus 255. He's currently at plus 277. Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Even at his height, Santiago was not a finisher. Mm-hmm. And he was, yeah, we, we were talking like he was a dude who rode the line of the split decision. Mm-hmm. He would hurt people every fight. Sure. But, but he doesn't he was, care he about was not, finishing. He was taking chances. Yeah. He wasn't going to put himself out there, if, even if it you know meant the opportunity to finish somebody. He was he was going to step back, and he was not going to put himself in harm's way. And yeah, if he's not going to finish Victor Henry, it's hard to imagine what he's going to bring to this fight that's going to win him rounds right now. Right, and he may very well get finished himself. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a a uh, middleweight bout: Nick Maximov, Jacob Malkoon. Another one. Yep. And another one. Uh, three middleweight fights on this on this card. One of which happens to be at light heavyweight. Yeah. And uh, it's tough to it's tough to say which is like really carrying the torch of this historic division the best. Todorovic, right? Yeah, (laughs) I say that those words and you just immediately like, yeah, never mind. Yeah, you're you're right. (laughs) This I guess actually this one is uh, 50 percent sort of anti middleweight because um, Jacob Malkoon does not do the thing that middleweights do. Yeah. Which is to be only good at one very specific thing. Yeah. He's a thinker thinker who's quite good at everything. This is the Marvin Vittori division. We don't need thinkers here. (laughs) Get Marvin Vittori, Paulo Costa, wait. (laughs) So, but Nick Maximov is a point division. This is the one. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Boys only. Boys only. Uh, Nick Maximov is a boy. (laughs) He only does one thing. Yeah. He's a true middleweight. Um, it, it is somewhat unusual that he's most of what he does is just a Nate Diaz impression. Well, not in his fighting style, not in his fighting style, but just in his life and his, in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which makes know. it extra funny. It's <laughs> he's sort of like the he, it's sort of like the Vitor Jiu Jitsu thing, 
Yeah. Where Vitor would just like straight, uh, you know, Wing Chun style straight blast people into oblivion. Yeah. And then go run around yelling jujitsu. And Nick Maximov runs around acting like Nick Diaz and then does the one thing Nick Diaz hates more than anything in his fights, which is to just swamp people with tedious wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But man. He's already succeeded more than either of us thought he would. Yeah, no, I mean, we taught, we did a Maximov versus Brundage depressed us because we we're just like, what is, what are these two doing? This is terrible. I am still convinced, uh, to a great degree, that Nick Maximov wrestles out of the opposite stance that he is handed. Because it's a yeah, 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 wrestling thing. Yeah, and so that he has to actually switch stances to box. Because that's crazy, though, because there's no reason that a right handed person can't become a perfectly good southpaw if that's what they're learning from day one. Yeah, but I think, you know, I mean, there are a lot of grapplers who just like striking footwork and recognition will elude them for their entire lives. Sure. Yeah. But but yeah, if, if it's the stance awkwardness, then it's like. Because he switches stances in his strength. Yeah. He clearly feels uncomfortable, but it, then I, you're forced to ask, like, who has been teaching this guy orthodox boxing if everything he does as a wrestler comes out of southpaw? Yeah. Why not just learn to be a southpaw? Like, there's no reason that... But he is trying to learn to be a southpaw. It's just that I think his balance is terrible yeah. when he's in a southpaw state. Well, yeah. Yeah, he hasn't learned to compromise on his wrestling stance to make it work for striking. Exactly. And, yeah, that super front foot heavy forward inclined stance is not ideal. Yeah. Um, so uh, he has to switch back to right handed <laughs> to be a puncher. It's just and bad. It's, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a crippling problem for him for as long as. Yeah. As long as he fights, unless he somehow manages to really unlearn a lot of what he's already learned. Yeah, but we've still seen, I mean, he, an unbelievably dogged wrestler. Oh, yeah. Well, just Absolutely. slog through these um, these mat wrestling sequences forever. And, like, is, we'll get dead dude, tired. He has clearly learned his grappling prowess to the point that it is memory that yeah. even being exhausted cannot break out. Exactly, because he, he, he'll get dead tired, and it doesn't really affect the way his wrestling functions. Yeah. Um, and then, so, you know, he, he goes in there against Pulinhele Soriano and I thought Soriano probably won that fight, but you can, yeah. it's it, totally justifiable that Maximoff got the decision because he enforced his wrestling to such a degree. And yeah. then he goes out there and gets instantly subbed by Andre Petrosky of all people. Yeah. <laughs> like what is going on? What to make of this, this most middleweight of middleweights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, is only wrestling and being like so bad at everything else that it's, it's actually like a, it's a detriment. It takes away even from your wrestling. Yeah. Is that enough to beat, uh, a super well-rounded Bilal Muhammad style fighter like Jacob Malkoon? Might be right now. <sighs> what, what makes you say that? Um, just because Malkoon is... There, you know, like there are, there's a violence missing from his game. Oh yeah, and he's tiny for the division. So if 
Maximov can just implement his physicality on Malkoon. I don't know if Malkoon can actually like, out, you know, it, it, can he just stand up to somebody who is bigger than him out wrestling him or like wrestling with him? Yeah. He, he's not, he's a pretty good wrestler, but as we already saw against Brendan Allen, like Malkoon had like half that fight with Allen on his back and he still lost. Yeah. Just because there's not a violent edge to his game. Yeah. I still thought he comported himself quite well. I he mean, did. no, he's God, God he knows is, he landed that great jab. He has about a thousand times on Brendan Allen. He is 100% in the Josh Kulabau, Alex yeah. Morono school of dudes who go out and they may not be good athletes, but God, don't they just have the best plan? They execute, man. They execute perfectly. Yep. Um, but they don't win all their fights. No, no. Well, yeah, he's just he's got limitations, you know. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, perhaps, too workmanlike for his own good. Sometimes, what you need to do yeah. is go out there and make it a fight. Yeah. Uh, and he possibly could have done that against Brendan Allen. Like a few more chances of using that jab to just create some exchanges and try to deck Allen, mm. very well could have made the difference. Yep. Um. Uh. I mean, I don't know. I just have zero faith in Maximov's game. He's so bad at everything that isn't wrestling. And even his wrestling doesn't seem like it should work for MMA. It's like low singles, just yeah. like head on the floor. Like it's pure wrestling stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I got to assume that I got to pick Malcoon. I mean, I, I got to think you look at Nick Maximov. He's got like two entries to most of his takedowns. And if you're Jacob Malkoon, you have spent this entire camp preparing to just not be there for those to work yeah. and to spend as much time as possible just dinging Maximov right on the nose with your jab and just denying him the wrestling. I think he's capable of that. I'm, I'm going to take Malkoon. I want to see it. Yeah. I really do. Because like I, I said, we, you know... I, he Max Malcoon, he's in that he's in that class of dudes that I gotta root for because we love a, fighters like Malcoon. They they're yeah. professionals. Yeah. He is five he is a five foot nine middleweight without the physicality to make up for it. Without the he's not he's not Daron Wynn out there who was like just this ball of wrestling muscle for his entire life. He's a five foot nine middleweight without the without the physicality who is just smarting his way through fights yeah. and has, you know, he's two and two in the UFC and like, and the, again, the loss to Brennan Allen was no kind of blowout. No, it, it was, it was a good performance from Malcolm. Yeah. I'm going to pick Maximov. I think that <laughs> you passed. I don't think that Malkoon can stop this from being a wrestling or a grappling match. And I think Maximov just has the instincts to drive through that and the size to win it. Yeah. But I I'm still not entirely sure he even has to like take wrestling out of the equation to still have winning chances. Like, no, he doesn't. I mean, Cody Brundage got winning chances in the third round because Maximov did so much dirty wrestling that he tired himself out mm-hmm. and he finally started like winning scrambles and, and uh, yeah, like Maximov, he's not even like a great shot artist. Like he just completely no. destroys his own posture and 
again, I got to think a certain amount of preparation. It's like, just push down on the back of the dude's head and limp leg. And it's like, yeah. you're going to kill most of his shots. He's going to keep trying them. Yeah. But it's like at a certain point, it's like fighting Damian Maya and Malcoon has to be Rory McDonald. And yeah. I think he can do that. But Brundage is big and strong. Rory McDonald was big and strong. That's true. And Malcoon is not big and strong. That is, that's a very good point. So that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, that makes sense. Malcoon is the underdog, opened at plus 120, jumped up to plus 145, and is currently down at plus 144, plus 114. So odds staying real nice and tight. Uh, Maximov drop opened at minus 140, dropped to minus 160, is currently up at minus 138. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with these odds being tight. I Absolutely. do not trust Maximov at all either. Um, it's just you know if Malkoon's not going to be a knockout artist, and he's not going to be a submission threat, and he's not going to be big and strong. Yeah, I'm gonna have to chance away from him on a lot of middleweight fights. He could probably be a welterweight, couldn't he? He he, he could. I don't see why not. He's he five. looks pretty pretty soft at 185. Exactly. Like he's yeah. God bless him for oh yeah for fighting this way. I love to see it. It's great, but it probably he could probably go down division pretty easily. Well, this right. this might be the matchup that uh, forces him to reckon with that decision because. Yeah. If a guy who literally the only thing he does is wrestle, um, can out wrestle you, then like yeah, maybe you actually are too small. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout: Joe Anderson Brito, Lucas Alexander, and um, for a really short notice replacement, mm-hmm. this is a good fight. This mm-hmm. is a well chosen replacement, Alexander. Uh. I think his game is pretty uh, limited and just sort of bully-based outside of his striking. But he's a really fun, clearly practiced technical striker. Mm -hmm. And that should make this a firefight because he hits really hard, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, let's see. This was originally supposed to be Melsic Bogdasarian versus Joe Anderson Burrito. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is honestly, I would say this is just as good a fight. Um, Bogdasarian has a lot of the same limitations and a lot of the same style of just being somebody who can throw with serious power from range and whose game otherwise falls apart in a lot of areas. Yeah. Pushed outside of that. Um, But he's still super scrappy everywhere. Yeah. He He really reminds me of like Danny Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. You give him that, a chance, he's going to look super sharp. You take a fight to him, it's going to be a mess. But it's still not clear if he's going to lose every time it becomes a mess yeah. because he's feisty. Yeah, he's not that hard to take down, but he will fight hard to get back up. He will hit takedowns and he will go for submissions himself. They're not always the most practiced thing in the world. Yeah. But he's a danger. Um, and for Joe Anderson Brito... There's always, there always feels like there's a chance that Joe Anderson Brito could self-destruct somewhere. Yeah. Like, he hits really hard, he wrestles really hard, he grapples really hard, but he does all of it really tense and 
the uh, depth, especially in his striking and wrestling, tends to vanish pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, he will hit you with an overhand really hard and clean. But if you can defend or be out of the way of that, he will swing it air. And there's not a lot of follow through. There's not, you know, it's not going to be a an awesome three. There's follow off. through, but no yeah. follow up. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. him following through all the way to the running all the way to the cage yeah. because you happen not to be there. Yeah. And he got like, he started kicking his legs back when he was like, yeah, you know, he's, like he's a cartoon a... bull. He's like bright red <laughs> and the steam steam is coming out of his nostrils. He's got enough follow through to close his eyes when he punches, which I'm pretty sure he does. Yeah. And then open them and be in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> Too much follow through. Yeah. Um, and the thing, one of the things I really love to see out of Lucas Alexander that'll make this interesting is he kicks, he low kicks. He's a dedicated calf yeah. kicker. A, a hard kicker too. He, yeah. This dude's going to break his shin. Yeah. Somebody's going to check the kick for the first time and he's his leg's going to snap into. Won't be Joanna Sombrito. <laughs> no, no, but that's how he kicks. It's like, yeah. Daring you to check. He puts so much power into them. Yeah. Really hard kicker. Uh, fights long. Love to see it. Um, he just also, he will, you know, it'll sort of be like two or three strikes and then he will throw himself at his opponent mm -hmm. create some chaos lunge him with elbows yeah mm -hmm. and i'm gonna pick joanderson brito to win that fight yeah because he's hard as nails like he's he yeah. is very much the kind of fighter that like he will get hit really hard he will expend a ton of energy, but man, is he reminds me in that way of like he's he's got he, he reminds me a lot of Mike Davis, who we just saw go out and pick up a uh -huh. really gritty win over Vatslav Borshev, yeah. where like you're like man, you put so much power into everything, and you seem like you gas out and you get really into your own head. In Davis's case, he gets into his own head. I don't think Frito ever thinks twice about that kind of thing. No. But, Frito's not aware that he has a head to get yeah. into. But Davis, you know, credit to him against Borchot. Like, he just went out there. He's kept doing it. He kept going out there and hitting all of his spots. Yeah. That he had to hit every round. And Brito can do that, too. We saw it against Algio. Like, yeah even in a failing, even when this wasn't working, like even in a failing contest, Brito was out there yeah. just taking every, every power move he could to Algio all fight. And I don't think that on short notice, Lucas Alexander is going to have the right set of counters for that. Yeah. He's got, um, Brito has enough Douglas De Silva in him. Yeah. To, to make his like one note, pure athleticism puncher style work um because yeah he's willing to be hit he's he's very difficult to hurt like you would i almost just assume um without a second glance that a guy who's like that tense and putting that much steam on everything he throws is is gonna get chin checked i think he's gonna be like shaman marais or something yeah yeah doesn't look like it so far yep go in there and just swing with you and get hit a ton and just eat it and it doesn't really change the way he fights. Yeah. I think this is going to be an insane 
fight as long as it lasts because I bet the first round of this is going to be brutal. Yeah. Probably brutal for Bruto. Yeah. For both. I mean, cause both, Al- yeah. Alexander will meet him toe to toe. He's that yeah. kind of fighter. He's, he, is. He, he likes to pressure. He's aggressive. He will trade shots and he's also tall and upright and overcommits and is going to get yep. hit super clean. And I just, I I'm trusting Brito to be the guy who's still there in rounds two and three pouring yeah. on even though they're both exhausted. Yeah. And possibly in that kind of fight to also be the guy who finds a surprise takedown. Yep. Yeah. And just rides on uh, Alexander's back for three minutes. He hits great. He he hits great power takedowns. He just doesn't yeah. really have a second speed. There's no like, oh, I'm going to go in on the takedown. Then I'm going to change it to a single and I'm going to turn the angle. I'm going to run the pipe and I'm going to yeah. make this a complicated. It's like, no, did you get t- carried off your feet by my blast double? Right. Great. Otherwise, I'm going to push you against the fence for a minute, just like with my hands around your waist. Yeah, he's either got to he's either got to put you on your ass in the first moment, or he's got to completely just horse you off your feet. Yeah, and um, but either one of those might work. The crazier and sloppier this yep. fight gets. Yeah, and so yeah, I'll I'll take Brito as well. Should be fun. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Uh, Brito opened at minus two seventy, dropped to minus three thirty five. It's currently out at minus three eighty three. These odds have only been open for a day or two. Uh, Alexander opened at plus two thirty, jumped up to plus two seventy five. It's currently plus two ninety one. It's a little. I mean, I, I get it. Brito has never been stopped before. Um, mm-hmm. and he is tough and he is consistent and he's powerful but he's and he's had a full camp yeah and he's had a full camp but this fight is just going to be a brutal war yeah i wouldn't let it get too wide just because i alexander hits really hard and this is also this has the feeling this could be one of those fights where we see this happen pretty often too where the guy who's already been in the ufc now is like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm a UFC <laughs> fighter. I'm ready for you. I've had a full camp. I'm, you know, this is a short notice fight against some new guy. What is he gonna do? And Alexander is the kind of hard striking, quick, quick starter that he is going to go out there and he could easily put a shock into Brito mm-hmm. right out the gate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's room for Alexander to just walk out there and really surprised Brito with how hard he hits. Yeah. Alexander is about it, man. He's he's going to, I, he very much is the kind of guy who is going to be thinking, who is going to know, in fact, what I think is a correct assessment that if I don't win in the first round, I'm not winning. Yeah. So go out there and pour it on. That's right. Should be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hyped about it actually as like a completely meaningless matchup. You know, you're in for a great fight. Yep. At least five minutes of great fight. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Sam Hughes, Piero Rodriguez. How about Sam Hughes, man? Yeah. I mean, she's she may be she is moving into that Jacob Malkoon territory. Yeah, she really is. She's clawing her way there. And starting from such a deficit. Yeah. Cause she was like so awkward. Uh, and beatable in her first several UFC fights. I think both you and I were like, she's not, she doesn't have it. Yeah. She's too tense. Like she needed, this person needs a lot more time. They just needed, 
you know, somebody taught her pressure and they, she had not learned anything else when she got to the UFC other yeah. than pressure. Yeah. And, but it was looking like, yeah, more time or, I mean, if in the absence of more time, if this is what she's expected to succeed with now. Yeah. It's in the UFC, happen. it's not going to happen. Yep. Um, and she made a, like, she truly revolutionized the way she fights. Yeah. She made a seriously dramatic change, became a way more consistent, complete fighter. Her boxing improved dramatically and it improved along the very specific lines of getting her into clinches and getting her into takedowns. Yep. It, 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 she molded a boxing game that fits that impulse to pressure. Um, but she has also been through the ringer enough now where, um, she has accepted the fact that she's going to get hit hard. Mm-hmm. And it, it, before it was like, she, she lacked the technical tools to, to adapt to that. Yep. To that certainty. And because of that, um, her confidence would just clearly shatter. Mm-hmm. And then now she's got both. She, she can figure out how to, I mean, she, she's now become a fighter where you're going to hit her clean, but she's going to try to counter you right away. Yeah. Um, she's going to try to extend the exchange and push you backwards. And again, is always looking for, for an opportunity to tie up or, or hit a shot. And, um, I don't really know what the ceiling is for Sam Hughes. I'm not, I'm not confident that it's Piero Rodriguez. Rodriguez is also a very solid fighter. Yeah. She's got a really practiced boxing game Mm -hmm. and she like, and not just like, you know, uh, oh, she knows how to throw the the punches technically well, but clearly knows how to move, you know? Yeah. She, yeah, she, she does a really good job of keeping her feet moving mid-combination. Yep. Yeah. Much better than most, like, 8-0 fighters mm-hmm. I've seen. Um, and she's got a solid-looking wrestling game as well. Yeah. I would say she has some bad takedown reactions built into her. Yeah. And that's what makes this fight truly interesting. Yeah. Specifically, I mean, against Kay Hansen, we saw that she she allowed takedowns really easily, actually. Like, yeah, she just would sort of she has that uh, boxer's impulse to just like sort of cling to the upper body of her opponent mm-hmm. when they shoot. And then the first time she made that work, the first time Hanson shot on her because she instantly got the the elevators in and swept. Yep. Her. Yep, and then she tried to do that Again. every single time afterward, and Hanson just didn't let it happen. Yeah, Hanson just had her hands ready. She posted, and she was on top. Yep. And to, to Rodriguez's credit, when she shot, she also got Hanson down really easily. Yeah. She's, she's, got, she's a good offensive wrestler, but yeah, those defensive reactions are going to be a problem, and that is something I could see Sam Hughes leveraging. Yeah. Um, again, she's going to be putting pressure on Rodriguez. She has to know she's coming in here and she's going to have to trade and probably come out worse in a lot of trades, Mm -hmm. but she is going to be looking to, uh, to lock Rodriguez up and not only shoot on her, but also test her reactions, her wrestling reactions in the clinch as well. I think I'm going to take Rodriguez. Yeah. Just because I think this is a new level of, uh, of boxing and mobility that uh, Hughes is going to have to deal with. This isn't Elise Reed. Yeah. 
Um, but I think there's serious chances for Hughes here, and she she's improved so much. Like I'm yeah. I'm really kind of gunning for her. She's, I mean, there there are enough holes in Pierre Rodriguez's game that if she is a thinker, if she is a game planner, if she is understanding, hey, I'm not going to be the fastest, I'm not going to be the strongest fighter out there in the UFC. Yeah, I need to be the craftiest. I need to be the most well planned. I need to know what my f- opponents are bad at and do that. There are enough holes for you for for Sam Hughes to go out and get a win. Yeah, but it but will it will for, be walking the knife edge. Absolutely, and for all that she's sort of clearly accepted the likelihood, the certainty again of, of getting hit. Uh, Rodriguez is going to hit her with shots that she cannot see coming. Yeah, there's going to be some like left hooks at the very ends of exchanges when uh, Sam has already started to reset and thinks that all the punches are done coming. Yeah, that just completely catch her off guard. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I, I got to go with Pierre Rodriguez, too. She seems like, you know, she's a capable scrambler when she needs to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a much better wrestler off the cage than in open space. Mm-hmm. And most of Sam Hughes's uh, takedowns come out of a, creating a clinch where she's yeah. putting her opponent on the cage and then working. And I think Pierre can defend that. Better enough, mm-hmm. better enough that she'll get to spend most of the fight standing. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Sam, Sam still has to, she has to walk through a lot of fire to make her game happen. So, yeah, I'm taking Pierre Rodriguez too, but I love see, I love seeing Sam get those, Hughes get those back to back wins. I love the advancements she's making in her game, and I hope to see it keep happening because, yep. you know, well, I, Screw these athletic cheaters. That's, that's, it's a surefire way to make a fan out of both you and I. Is, yeah. Uh, both you and me is to yeah, be somebody that we have utterly like we, we didn't even have enough faith in you from the from the, the outset to, ha- to to be disappointed or to stop believing in you. Yeah. We never believed in you. Yeah. And you proved us wrong. And uh, I love when fighters prove me wrong like that. I, it, it makes me very excited to see them continue progressing. Absolutely. No question. And I always love to see fighters who, you know, their, their skill has to come through thoughtful yeah. attack. Yes. And, you know, that's that's Hughes. That's Malcoon. That's, you know, it's, it's fun to see fighters, especially when they when it actually comes through attack. And the thought is like, yeah, oh, I need to. I need to figure out how to beat you with offense that you don't know how to defend yeah. and not just trying to like, Oh, you know, I'm going to try to be as, as out, you know, I'm going to become an outfighter on the back foot that just stays away from people. Yeah. The, the most common and least statistically successful overcorrection yeah. uh, in MMA. Yeah. Sam Hughes didn't become capital T technical. She stayed aggressive and got actually technical. Yeah. <laughs> and it's working. It is. Uh, she's still the underdog here, opening at plus 190 and down at plus 139, though, which is Cl- closer than I expected. Far cry from where she started her career. No kidding. Rodriguez opened at minus 230, jumped up to minus 200, and is currently at minus 169. Yep. I think Rodriguez could be a little, a little bigger of a favorite than that. Yeah, she's a pretty good athlete. Yeah, and she's got a really nice, like, like I say, her 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 striking is, it's well schooled. It's not just yeah. oh, she's learned good form on her punches. It's no, she's actually learned 
how to slip when she throws. She's learned to keep her feet moving. Yeah. She's got a lot of really well-schooled techniques. She looks experienced. Like yeah. she can feel an exchange and adapt to apply that lesson in the next exchange yeah. like that. She yep. looks like a boxer. Yep. Now we get to a flyweight bout. Uh, Tatsuro Taira against CJ Vergara. And uh, yeah, kind of another dude who I am rapidly gaining uh, respect for. Mm -hmm. Vergara, I... You might, I don't know if you picked him or not against Clinton Rodriguez, but I kind of had him as no hope in that just because he looked so slow at flyweight and you can't be a slow flyweight. Yeah. You know, Ode Osborne went out there and they just had a volume battle and Osborne was faster and that was all there was to it. Yeah. Um, I think I probably, I, I don't remember, but uh, my guess is that uh, I don't have enough of a memory of that pick. Yeah. To have had a strong feeling, so I probably sided with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's and usually Clayton, how it goes. I still think that Clayton Rodriguez is a future potential title challenger. Like that yeah. kid, he needed a hard lesson and he learned it. And I'm hoping he took the right the right things away from it. But he is an elite athlete who has, you know, real power and speed in that division and a well rounded game. He just wasn't ready for somebody who doesn't get hurt and pressures constantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure Tetsuya Taira is either. Mm. Tetsuro Taira is either. Because my big knock on Tetsuro Taira or Taira going into the UFC was like a lot of Japanese fighters, he does not fight at a flyweight pace. No, this dude, I mean, most of them don't fight at just a modern MMA pace. Yeah. But especially at flyweight, he's notably low output. And. You know, like that worked against Car like credit to him. He was slick enough off his back foot that he he limited like Carlos Candelario didn't land shit on him. He also had to make some critical decisions in grappling exchanges. Yeah. Where there were a couple of hairy moments where you can't because it's just you give a guy like Candelario all the time in the world to come up with ideas on how to attack you. Yeah. You let him be pretty comfortable. He knows he's only in danger when he commits and gets inside. So he can kind of make a plan. Mm -hmm. And if I think there was like a, there was like a wild scramble that led to Tyra. No, there was like a near choke. Yeah. Where he had Candelario on his back and like was fully locked in on the choke and stayed super calm to his credit and very patiently, you know, stripped the hands and corrected the position. But um, yeah, he's just going to keep letting people into those positions because he's not the kind of low output fighter like a Sun Tzu, where he's experienced enough to be constantly adjusting his position, constantly keeping his jab as like a barrier between his opponent and him. I think he can be that he could, he be can that. get there. Yeah. But at the moment, but, yeah. he, he feels low output, um, because he will, he lets the opponent have the initiative. Yeah. He'll let them make the decision and rely on his ability to kind of guess the right response. But, um, yeah, at a certain level, I mean, the level he's probably already at sometime soon, he's going to need to figure out that if you don't want to be mixing it up constantly, you have to like make your opponent scared of coming into the pocket with you, or you have to keep them out. Yeah. 
you have to, like I said, like, like Rafael Sunso used to do so well, you got to like present barriers and adjust your position all the time to stay at the right distance that it is a mistake when the opponent commits. Um, yeah. Don't let and, them come up with answers. And Vergara, he's much more dedicated than Carlos Candelario. Yeah. With his ability to just pressure forward and be tough and stay in your face and make the fight difficult. I don't know. I think I'm going to pick Vergara here. I think he's got another chance to kind of go back to back here and take two really top prospects. Because Tyra is a very. Oh, like, yeah. He is really well schooled. He is well schooled everywhere. He might sub Vergara. You know, he he has a nasty ground mm-hmm. game when he gets his way. But if he's gonna just let Vergara control the pace of the fight, I I don't necessarily I don't know. I have reservations and I've just seen Vergara pick up a win like this. So I think Tyra to Tyra's credit. Clayton Rodriguez was does not stay was not ready to stay calm under pressure. No. He is used to scaring people yeah. and getting time and space by scaring off like oh wow this guy hits really hard. He's yeah. really fast. I'd better give him a lot of respect. Tyra does not seem to be that fighter. Tyra wants you walking into him. He wants yeah. you coming after him that is what makes him comfortable is to have the opportunities and the options so right it could be a much more dangerous prospect here but like that candelario fight like for at least the first couple rounds he wasn't you know it, he wasn't making that much happen no he doesn't exactly run away with fights yeah so um, i'm i'm I, gonna, i'm gonna take the flyer on uh, vergara here yeah i think i'm gonna stick with tyra um I think sort of what you just mentioned, it it has a lot to do with my, my reasoning. The fact that, um, Rodriguez buckled under just the, the ceaseless pressure of Vergara that happened after he spent the entire round, just landing absolutely whatever he wanted on Vergara. You know what? If he, if he didn't respond that way to the pressure, and I think you're absolutely spot on that Tyra, his the thing that would make him insecure is having to lead. Yeah. Is having to put himself at risk. He doesn't mind the risk. He doesn't want him to be making the mistake. I think that's my read on his his mindset. And so the thing that struck me in that Candelario fight was as shaky as a lot of these positions looked, and they were shaky because there wasn't enough happening. Um there wasn't enough happening to benefit Tyra when Candelario wasn't making the yeah. fight happen, but he was so calm with it happening. Yeah. Every you know time what? Candelario got in, it's that Tyra wanted it to happen. It's true. I you you've convinced me. I I I I, I wanted to I, I wanted to overcorrect. I get it. I, it's a it's a it's yeah. a super risky and, and unsustainable position to put yourself in that like I'm going to always let my opponent decide what kind of fight we're having. Yeah. But I don't think he's. I don't think this is the level at which he can't. He can't come up with all the right answers on the fly, yeah. which he successfully did against Candelario. Yeah, he is very technically well practiced. Yes. for that kind of fight, and, and super well rounded. He can do yep. everything incredibly well, as he showed. It's just that he's not proactive at all. 
the one thing I will say against Tyra is that his offensive wrestling is actually really lackluster. And at some point that needs to change. That but, I believe. But everything else. But for the time like, being, he's essentially a counter grappler because yep. he's going to let you start whatever kind of exchange. And yep. defensively and in scrambles, he looks great. I have to remember that even with Vergara taking over and breaking Rodriguez, he did only barely scrape out a split decision. Yeah. And again, up up to the point that Vergara started to visibly break, he was like not thrashing Rodriguez, Vergara, but yeah. or that Rodriguez, yeah. But he 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 wasn't thrashing him, but he was also wasn't struggling to land anything. Yeah. I mean I, there was even a uh you know a a an argument to be made that Rodriguez won that fight because he landed, you know, he outlanded Vergara in the third round. Yeah. And had control, you know, he even had a dominant control and like, it was, it was not a bad round for him, except that his body language was so awful because he had just fallen apart by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and in the first round, just to back up what I'm saying, the stats were, 45 to 27. Yeah, he doubled up on him. Yeah. It is really tough for Vergara. I guess he's a slow flyweight. That is a hard as hell spot to be in. It is. All right. Yep. You've Oops. convinced me that I was getting over enthusiasm. I was over. <sighs> See, I hate this. Whenever I make a good case, either that means, I mean, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't get to get a one up on you. Yeah, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta keep your, you gotta keep your analysis shoddy. <laughs> I gotta do a worse show in order yeah. to claw my way back to equality on the uh, picking statistics. Yeah. <laughs> CJ Vergara opened at plus two thirty. He's currently at plus one ninety four. Tatsuro Tyra opened at minus two seventy. He's currently minus two forty three. All right. That brings us to our sideshow circus circus fight <laughs> of the card. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know why they. I don't. I don't know why the UFC let for a company so cutthroat and so ruthless with talent. Yeah, and so fucking hard assed. Well, that's the thing. They don't have any talent here, like Mike Jackson. So they don't know what to do. They're cutthroat with talent, but Mike Jackson lacks that. So yeah, I don't. Both of these guys, like I, Pete Rodriguez, does have. There's a glimmer there. He's much better than he is. I mean, he's much Mike better Jackson. than Mike Jackson. But he's he's like oh, you know, he's like a. They signed him at like three and zero off of like can crushing. Yeah, to and then fight. instantly fed him to Jack Della Maddalena. Yeah, it was in a which, short notice fill in, but in which I'll I'll give him credit. Like in in a sort of um um. Who's the gigantic welterweight who had his debut against uh, Vicente Luque? Michelle Pereira. Oh, no. no. Against Vicente Luque. You know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, damn. Huge it. guy. Big puncher. Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner is actually a lightweight. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, you could see how I was confused. He looks yes. like a light heavyweight. Yeah, he's gigantic. But yeah. in, in, that, in that type of thing where it's like you have no chance of winning – I thought Rodriguez comported himself quite well yeah. against against Madalena. Yeah, I agree. He he landed some good shots. He was out there. He was he was confidently mixing it up. He was he was I like you know he's a he's a consistent body puncher. He's got a jab. You he's give, got a. 
you give Pete Rodriguez three more years yes. of battling it out on the regionals, he comes into the UFC as a pretty decent, fun action fighter. Yeah, he looks like he has what it takes to 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 hang out in the UFC at some point. That yeah. to me is more than enough reason to pick oh, him over Mike Jackson. Oh God, yeah, no, no, no. There's there's no question about who okay. you pick right. in this fight. Just make sure there's is, no fuzzy boundaries on that point. No, no, there's no question who you pick in this fight. The, the only question is. In a, in a promotion so cutthroat, like, why are either of these guys yeah. here right now? Like, the, yeah, you don't need to keep I, I, I hate I don't want to argue for people to lose their job. They're getting paid. I get it. I want them to get paid. But Mike Jackson is not an athlete. No, he's not. I, I had to I had to make this case hard in the Dean Barry fight. And I keep <laughs> having to be, I keep feeling like a jerk for having to make this case. But. He is all of us. If we if we decided to take our weekend training regime and try to be a pro fighter, yeah. And it only goes to show how ridiculous the whole CM Punk thing was. Yeah, that CM Punk made Mike Jackson look like John Jones. Yes, like CM Punk is actually less athletic than your average dude on the street. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing that he is a professional athlete. Yes. Performer athlete, but still, you know, yeah. it's, it's an but athletic still, endeavor. It's an athletic endeavor, but there's a reason that Ric Flair can do it until he's 90. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It, it, you, you script it around the limitations of your talent. Right. Um, it's it as much whole, being an athletic performer as like being a stunt man is. And I'd still be impressed with what CM Punk had accomplished if he'd had a stunt man's career. Exactly. Before exactly. coming to the UFC, but it doesn't make him a good athlete. No, it doesn't. It is absolutely hilarious then that Mike Jackson's UFC career has outlived Mickey Gall and CM Punk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. I forgot they, they cut Mickey Gall. They cut Mickey Gall. How is Mike Jackson still here? Right. Do do you know what? Do a rematch of that fight. If Mickey Gall's not meeting your expectations, just remind yourself of who else is still on the roster. Yeah. Let's run Gall Jackson back. See how that plays out this time. Yeah. Gall is so much better than Mike Jackson. Infinitely. So and, much better. And Pete Rodriguez is too. Pete yes. Rodriguez is infinitely better than Mike Jackson. He has speed. He showed a check left hook in that fight against Madalena. Yeah. Caught him on guard with it a couple of times, even. Like, that is more than enough. This is going to be, this is, this should be a slaughter. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. you got to take Pete Rodriguez. As such, Odds makers have Pete Rodriguez open at minus 400, mm -hmm. straight to minus 600. It's currently at minus 682. Some books even have him down at minus 700. Mike Jackson opened at plus 300 and is currently at plus 474. Yeah, I mean, no fighter is inexperienced as Rodriguez should ever be that highly favored. But yeah. also, should he be favored less than that? Yeah. <laughs> it's not clear. He should obviously be a lock favorite in this and, matchup. And you know what? All credit to Mike Jackson. He talked himself. He talked his way into a UFC contract for a chance to crush 
the UFC's most laughable sideshow clown car decision in their entire sporting history. Yeah. And he's turned that into a multi-fight career, and he has the guts to get in there with people who will absolutely knock him out. <laughs> he knows. He's got to know at some level yeah. what's going to happen to him. Like, it is, it is a miracle that Dean Barry didn't knock him out and yeah. looked like he was well on his way to until he stuck a finger in his eye. Yeah. So. Yeah, he has he has one win out of his three UFC fights by accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why was the CM Punk one a return to a no contest? To the marijuana. Oh, okay. So he's got he's got two, one win that he earned. Yeah. And one win that is purely an accident and a fight he was otherwise going to lose. Yeah. So. And then one 45 second to nine. <sighs> yeah. To the only like good fighter he's faced. Who also had who was, experience at the time. Yeah. Who was not even good yet. That was his second pro fight for yeah. Mickey Gall. Yeah. Just to show the difference between two people who had been doing combat sports just as long as one another. And one of them was an actual athlete and the other one wasn't. Yeah. So I hope it doesn't end here. I hope to, I, I you know what I hope not to. They the UFC actually has um, on their welterweight roster. They have one of uh, Nate Diaz's Nate yeah. Diaz's training partners, Martin Sano, on the yeah. roster. He got and, brought in to get blown up by uh, uh, you know that guy. He's got like a German name. <laughs> Forgetting everyone's yeah. names, you know who I'm talking about. He, he, they brought him in to fight Matthew Semmelsberger, and That's Semmelsberger right. annihilated him in 15 seconds because he hadn't fought in half a decade. Yeah, I did find out. I did figure out the why Martin Sano is in the UFC. Why's that? Nate Diaz was he? He kind of let it slip. He was doing an interview recently where he was talking about like what it would take to get him back in the UFC to sign a new contract. And he said that the thing that the UFC would have to do is sign all of his friends. That's awesome. All of his training partners. And so at one point, he had a contract negotiation with them. It's the same thing with the Chris Avila. Yeah, yeah. You know, credit to the UF, to, to the Diaz's. Respect, man. They have, like, when they negotiate their contracts, they negotiate, like, you are going to sign this dude I train with. Yeah. Does not matter that he is no good at all. You're going to sign him and give him a shot. Yeah. People were just talking about uh, Angela Lansbury, rest in peace, get, mm -hmm. you know, using Murder, She Wrote to get yeah. like all of these washed up old actors uh, enough work to at least like maintain their insurance. Mm -hmm. That's Nate Diaz for you. Yeah. There you go. Dude. He's a, he's a comrade, man. Yeah. Dude, protect his dude. Dude is looking out for his people. All, all the boys come over asking for handouts because he made it rich. He's like, look, I'll give you something. But beyond that, all I can get you is a job. Yep. I'll get you a job, buddy. Oh, all right. On that note, find <laughs> me on Twitter at Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And uh, as always, the MMA Viva section is brought to you by The Fine Art of Violence which is a book by Chris Reaney, which you can find over at his website, www.chrisreaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.